Hello, and welcome to the Thinking Elixir podcast. My name is Mark Erickson. I'm Cade Ward. And I'm David Bernheisel. Let's jump into the news. First up, Erickson OTP team announced the launch of a brand new Erling forum. It actually, I was surprised. I looked at it and it looked just like the Elixir forums, except <laughs> pink. <laughs> but turns out it's just a really popular discourse open source blogging library. So check it out if you're interested. I'm happy that the uh, Erlang folks have got a good dedicated forum. I I don't know. I don't actually go to a bunch of Erlang forums, but I know this is managed by the same folks that do the Elixir forum. So good group of uh, folks. Glad that Erlang uh, has their own dedicated forum. Also in the news, you got Elixir 1.13 RC was released. So there's a couple of changes that are in 1.13. Well, we've talked about it in the in the news a lot, so I'm not going to uh, go into depth on each of these things. But uh, here, here's an overview of some of those changes. Uh, one of the bigger changes is semantic re- recompilation. So, uh, for example, the digest of the files are considered in addition to their size. If you've been in a lot of Elixir projects, you probably know that if you just simply touch the file and you don't even make changes to it, you just like touch it, which will will modify like timestamps on it. Elixir will recompile it. It doesn't really need to. The short version is it's getting a lot smarter about when to recompile files, which means that generally less things are going to be re- recompiled. So that's good. Faster compilation times. That really becomes an issue like when you're switching branches. Yeah. Where a lot of stuff gets checked out and there may have not been any significant change at all. Yeah. Some other changes are like mix xref graph now supports a dash dash label flag to be set to compile connected. That's a lot of words there. You probably don't know what that means. That's okay. The, the short version is is that you can see a better graph of like uh, the dependencies that files have upon each other that causes recompiles. That's a nice tool. There's also a new module called code.fragment that helps support autocomplete. That's going to be pretty cool. I'm, I'm happy to see um, that happen. Uh, developer experience is always really important to Elixir folks, so I'm glad to see that we're going to get better autocomplete. I think this uh, manifests itself in like struct keys and autocomplete when you're like opening up a struct. So that's pretty cool. Another change is extended code formatting, aka plugins, into Formatter, the the mixed formatter. So the example they always use is, is you can implement a, a Markdown formatter. So mixed format no longer has to be only about Elixir code. So you can add plugins, theoretically, once once those plugins are available, to format other things. I imagine this uh, this is opening up the, the way to formatting Surface files, maybe EEX files, maybe Hex files, you know, all, all those different templates. Yeah, and even the content inside of a sigil, like a sigil H, you could get that formatted. So I think that'd be really cool. Yeah, and that makes me think of Zig too. So I think that could probably probably plug into into Zig. So that's really exciting. I'm happy about that. And then last thing about 1.13 RC, our good friend Voitech Mock noted that it also includes the ability to globally customize inspect. And so he has a, a tweet about it. We'll link to the tweet. It uses the .iex.exs file to customize it. This is good for like your local tooling if you want to like adjust the way that something ex- inspects just for your local development environment. Don't do this in libraries, please. <laughs> that would be bad news because you're you're giving that to everybody else at that point, and they probably don't want that. So, uh, of course, you know, sharp knives like this sometimes have sharp edges. Just uh, remember not to get stabby with uh, all your downstream folks. <laughs> Previously, we talked about contributing to Elixir itself. 
And Tyler Young recently got a PR merged into Elixir where he added the enum.slide function. So we're not really going to dig into what that means or what it does. We'll have links to the PR in the show notes. But really, this is more of an interesting discussion and set of resources around constructive ways to contribute to Elixir itself. And this is a really good example. The main point was is that Tyler started off in the mailing list where he had the suggestion for this code change this addition. And after it was refined, the PR was opened. And after even more discussion, more feedback, more changes, it was finally merged. So as for resources, the mailing list resource and the PR resource are really interesting just to kind of get an insight into how this process works for contributing to Elixir. And a couple takeaways that Tyler I commented on was just noting how the bar is really high when you're talking about Elixir core library code, as opposed to code that gets pushed into your application. And it goes through a lot more discussion, revisions, feedback. And he was saying, you know, his original draft for this function was like six lines long. And after all the feedback, they ended up with a specialized implementations for both lists and other enumerables. And it ended up being three to 20% faster than his original version. Tyler also felt like the feedback process made him a better programmer just through going through this process of asking these questions and having this back and forth discussion. And overall, it was a really good experience. And he encouraged other people who take an interest in improving Elixir to get involved in the discussion and mailing list. So if you're thinking about contributing to Elixir and getting involved in some capacity like that, this is a great resource to check out. Last up, Livebook 0.3 was released. Jose Valim created a video showing how some of these new features work. I actually haven't even checked it out. Have you guys checked it out? What's new? I did. It was really cool. Some of the things he was identifying that we've already talked about, but it's really handy to see it. Like one of the things was badges. And we've talked about badges and seen some exciting stuff about what people are using badges on their projects. The badge says run in a live book. But actually knowing like, well, how do I set that up? What does it actually do? Getting that overview of how this works. That was really cool. There was another feature that I think is going to be really valuable. And that's where uh, you can use S3 compatible file systems underneath Livebooks. So your notes, your Livebooks no longer have to be like tied directly to your deployment anymore. So now you can have a separate like lightweight ephemeral kind of deployment of fly or sorry of a live book itself like to for example on fly but then have your notebook stored on s3 and so live book will just transparently look at s3 for those live books so if you're if your live book instance goes down or you want to migrate it or you just want to save some money for a little bit you can take it down for a while without losing your um without having that be tied to your live book so anyway that i haven't checked out the implementation so i'm really curious how they did that but uh, that's, a, that's a cool feature in 0.3. And that's also in the video. Uh, so uh, Jose goes over a good example of how to um, store that on, on a service called Storage, which I, I also never heard of. So I'm going to have to go check them out. <laughs> yeah, all I know now is that it's S3 compatible. But yeah, another thing that I thought was cool is the ability to export a notebook as an Elixir script. And Jose identified this as being helpful. Like if you're trying to demonstrate some code, maybe play with something, you're like, I think this is a bug. You can export as an Elixir script that someone can just take and run. Ooh, that could be cool. I also liked how xdocs was updated to support the Livebook markdown files. And Jose explains more about that, that it's not embedding Livebook into xdocs or anything like that. It's here is the static markdown file with a button where you can launch that and play with it in a Livebook instance. 
That'll be great for, for libraries, I think. That's, that's a huge, cool feature. Super happy that it's included in XDocs now. They did that in the NPM website a long time ago, right? Where you could click to like load the, the JavaScript library in some web oh. interface. And it was always super helpful just kind of play with it really quick and see how it worked. So Like a JS fiddle. Something like that, yeah. We're getting there, you know, but uh, <laughs> there's still one more like user experience barrier that I don't know how we're going to get over. Maybe we won't, but it has to be on your live book instance, right? Because this is a powerful language that can do a lot of harm <laughs> that, that is on a, that, that is hosted on the server side, right? Whereas JavaScript is on your browser. So it's very trackable that it's you doing it versus some shared server. Anyway, maybe we'll be able to get over that somehow and like have a, a limited execution scope or something. I, I'm not sure. We'll see. It'll be fun, though. And that's it for the news. Today, we're being joined by our special guest, Martin Vinja. Martin, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. So this is going to be fun because you have been working on something and started blogging about it, and that's how I learned about it. But what you're doing is interesting. It's something called type check. So static types is a big topic that kind of comes up in the Elixir space because Elixir being a dynamically typed language, some people coming from other languages are like, I, I love my static types. I want static types. And so you're doing a different approach to static types and something using a type check approach. And I really want to dig into this. And especially as we think about other things like, you know, we know Gleam and we know Chris Keithley's Norm project. We want to kind of figure out where this fits. But before we jump into all of that, maybe you can tell us a little bit more about you. Like, where do you live and what kind of work are you doing? My full name is uh, Wiebe Martin Vinja, but most people just know me as Martin or QQWY on the internet. I am a developer who lives in Groningen in the Netherlands, which is the other side of the country from where Amsterdam is, but that's only 200 kilometers or roughly 120 miles away. So does it really matter one way or another? I am currently working at uh, two companies, the consultancy Resilia, where we help all kinds of local companies as well as some remote people with their Elixir projects as well as some uh, other stacks as well. And recently I've been busy with a startup project known as OberX, where we try to give restaurants that want to serve guests more, more efficiently and nicer by giving them a button they can put on their table. And when this button is pressed, the waiters in the restaurant are immediately notified on their smartphone. And we use Elixir there for essentially all the backend and live notification stuff. Wow, what's it like working at two jobs? I, I, I have to admit, that's not, not a normal thing in software development, I don't think. Do you, do you find it you know, that a difficult thing? The nice thing is that uh, I was able to scale the consultancy part down a little bit. And uh, on the other hand, it also allowed me right now to essentially get my toes in the water a little bit in the startup world without immediately committing to it full time, which also makes it a lot easier to try out new things without having to be scared of things uh, immediately failing or only having a couple of months before, yeah, you have to do something that makes money right away to uh, to make sure you can keep on living, you know? So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and on the other hand, also, I'm a bit used to this as well, because back when I was still studying, I was also on the side already uh, having a part-time job doing all kinds of different development uh, things as well. That's also nice, but that's definitely something I, I don't really recommend people doing too much. Although you, you learn a lot both from the practical side of things and also I think that the theoretical stuff that you learn at university is very important and something that 
in my opinion, more people working in practice might benefit uh, with. Uh, it does really mean that you either have to be very passionate about development or you shouldn't do it because, yeah, it, it leaves you with very little uh, spare time. <laughs> well, I love the, the, both sides of the extreme here. Either do it, you know, with your full heart or don't do it at all. <laughs> I, and I guess I admit it uh, shows my age a little bit that I wouldn't even think about college and studying anymore as being a, a real job. So uh, <laughs> shed a tear, pour a little out for me. Well, great. Glad to uh, learn a little bit more about you. How, how long have you been using Elixir? I feel like I've seen your name, you know, a lot, um, even the early days of, of Elixir. Um, how, how long have you been using Elixir and what languages, you know, did you work in before that? I believe I started uh, with Elixir. I was first introduced to it in 2016 and was very enthusiastic, very excited about the language from that point. So essentially what happened is uh, before that time, I was already working with this uh, consultancy part-time next to, to college and then university. And at our consultancy, we were mostly dealing at that time with Ruby and, and mostly web development, so Ruby on Rails projects. And on the other hand, from the university side, well, there you learn C, C++, Java, and also Haskell. And I found Haskell also to be very, very interesting. But then uh, there was this one company which was uh, doing invoice automation and they had a bit of problems with their uh, Rails application because uh, once a week or once a month, all these companies would send them all the new invoices, sometimes through FTP or other strange or outdated uh, <laughs> ways. And then uh, their servers would have to crunch in the middle of the night to make sure that all these invoices were transformed the next morning into either emails or, or actual letters that were sent out to everyone. And they were under this extreme time pressure to make sure that this all happened in time. And their Ruby on Rails project was not managing this task very well. And they heard about Elixir at this time and they were like, well, might this maybe be interesting? And essentially I jumped on it at that time. I said, whoa, this looks cool. Let me check it out. So one weekend I sat down and just did the, uh, the introduction guide and the OTP guide and also the, the, the Phoenix guides. And then at some point, well, I read also about how important the Elixir community uh, finds that uh, documentation is up to date. And I saw a typo somewhere and I thought, well, okay, let's try it out. You know, I had some experience with uh, contributing to other open source projects, but there often it just took multiple weeks or months before anyone would even read your, your issue or your pull request. But here, like an hour later, Jose had uh, just <laughs> had read it and uh, it was merged into, uh, into the actual uh, Elixir uh, project. And I was very excited with this turn of events and with also how the, the, the conversation, the communication with the Elixir community went. So yeah, when I uh, got back to the company on Monday, I was like, wow, this is amazing. This might be perfect for what you're doing here, uh, but also the community is great. And unfortunately, that particular company decided not to go with Elixir at that point because they found other more low-hanging fruit things they could fix in their uh, existing Rails setup. But yeah, that was the starting point for me. And from that point on, I have been very uh, invested in the Elixir community and uh, been very active on the Elixir forums, as well as contributing a number of libraries and going to various conferences and yeah, helping out here locally and throughout Europe with a number of consulting projects. So I'm excited to jump in and talk about this main topic that we wanted to have you come and help us understand. And so it's this library called TypeCheck. And how would you describe 
your reason for creating this and, and kind of what were you trying to solve with this library? The main goal behind it is to improve the clarity of your code. Some of you might have, have seen or heard about uh, Sasha Juric's talk of earlier this year on, uh, at ElixirConf EU, where he, uh, the, the whole talk is about this subject, uh, how to improve the clarity of your code in, in various different ways. But one of the things he mentions, uh, which I very much agree with, is that it's good practice to include a type specification for the various functions in your modules. Because this is both a super concise and a very low effort way to show the intent of the functions and also uh, your data types. So to make it really clear what kind of input the function expects and also what kind of result you can expect in return when the function is done running. So by default, type specs in Elixir are only really used for documentation purposes. And you can use them with some external tools as Dialyzer as well, but they have their own kinds of sets of limitations. However, it would be really nice if we can really make sure that both a function is used correctly, as well as the function itself is also running correctly. And this is what TypeCheck is trying to do for you. So one of the things I was really surprised with when I first saw this was that you're using, I presume, macros, and you'll have to kind of let us know what's going on, but you're, it, it looks very familiar, right? If you see the at spec where you're writing like a type spec or like a function signature or something like that, it looks like you would expect to be the normal spec declarations that we're seeing that Dialyzer will use, but you have a spec with a bang. So what's going on behind that? Yes, indeed. So the idea is uh, that people can just use the normal syntax that they're already used to from writing normal Elixir specs and just add this bang and then it, it magically works. And what is going on there behind the scenes is that we indeed take this spec as an abstract syntax tree and transform it first in some data types and then finally, depending on where the type is actually used, either to a set of runtime type checks, which are wrapped around your functions, or also as something that you can use in uh, property testing generators to help with testing. Interesting. So you're, you're saying that you wrap the functions in runtime type checks? Yes. So if somebody said, okay, this type takes in a string, you, you might like wrap that function in something that says, don't ever let anything come in here that isn't a string. Yes, exactly. And you raise a runtime error at that point? Yes, it works a bit, little bit similarly to uh, when, for instance, uh, you would add your own guards or other code at the start of the fun your function uh, manually. And uh, indeed, if the value that is passed to a function does not match up with the expected type, a error will be raised at runtime. And one of the things TypeCheck tries to, to do is to make this error as descriptive as possible to really explain what the reason is that this value doesn't match up, which is mainly useful when you're dealing with deeply nested structs or, or other data structures. Because if you have a struct that has uh, 50 keys, say your Phoenix Live View assigns, for instance, then it might be really helpful to find out which key actually contains a value that doesn't match rather than only getting the result computer says no. So that's probably something that really sets this apart from like dialyzer because, you know, when you get that dialyzer error, it says this thing doesn't match the success type of this thing. And they both list 500 keys. And you're like, <laughs> I don't actually know what this is saying. <laughs> yes. 
Yes. I think it's a good time to mention then that we are talking about runtime, right? This is not a static type checker because I don't think it is, at least with the way the Beam and Elixir currently exist, I don't really know that you can have a static type checker. So this is a runtime type checker, which I just think you know people need to be aware of. Then another question I had is, when I think of all the different type specs that I see, you can write some pretty unique stuff in your type specs. You can say it can take a nil or a string, or it can take an atom, and the atom can be this value or this value or this value. Or it can be a range of 0 to 255 as an integer. Are you able to take and work with all of those different bits of information too? Yes, we are able to work with all those uh, bits of information too. And implementing all of that has definitely been quite a bit of work. And it's like for uh, 90% finish. There's one final built-in Elixir type, which currently TypeCheck does not support. And those are the required and optional wrapper types, or what you should call them, which you can use uh, when you write a map type. So it already supports maps with either literal keys, so just literal atoms or literal numbers or any other literal that works. And it also supports maps which have one particular kind of key. So say a map that where all the keys are numbers. Those two things are already supported. Uh, the only thing which it doesn't yet is when you try to mix and match those two styles with these optional, this optional and required uh, keywords. And the reason for that is because writing that as a type check, especially runtime type check, is very tricky and something we're still working on figuring out. I got to be honest here. I'm I'm looking at like a comparison. I, I know Norm. Norm is probably the the prevalent library in this kind of this this kind of space. And you know, Chris Keithley. A lot of folks know his name. Know that he does a lot of other things in the in the community. So it's like that seems to be the the the, the library to go to. But, but when I look at Norm and and, and your your library here, uh, TypeCheck, you have a document on this, by the way. So it's uh, so I'm just looking at that document and it's comparing Norm with with TypeCheck. All right. So usage-wise, here's the part I want to be honest with about. I actually like the type specs way of doing this a little bit better because it feels more like normal Elixir. It's using uh, spec. It's using type here. And I like that. That's what I want to use. I want to use the language. And even though that this is uh, somewhat overriding that stuff, it still lets me think I'm writing normal Elixir. And I enjoy that. Whereas with Norm, disclaimer here, I, I don't I don't use norm in production. I don't use it normally. I'm not used to it. So this is just, just a, an outsider's uh, perspective at this point. If I wanted to use norm, I have to go learn norm and figure out how to use that in my Elixir application. And it's uh, somewhat different of a, uh, a, little, a little bit more DSL-y than it is. It's clearly not, but it's it, it leans that way from what I can tell. Whereas type check, it's like, nah, just write your normal Elixir stuff but just have a use type check at the top. And uh, there's a couple of little small differences, but it's mostly normal Elixir. Is that the design goal that you had? Was that intentional? Yes, that was very much intentional. The idea indeed is that someone can just add use type check at the top of their Elixir module and add these banks at the end of all add type and add spec declarations in their module. And then it will just do what you expect it to do. And it will still work also as the normal type specs that you are used to from Elixir itself. That is very much intentional. And it seems like kind of converting over would be as easy as just appending a bang. So that's pretty nice. Yes. 
And so is that behind the scenes then actually writing the normal dialyzer interpreted spec on the code? So that's still there? Yes, it is still indeed also adding the normal uh, Elixir built-in specs to your module as well. With a few small caveats or additions, there are a couple of extensions that TypeCheck supports, such as checking, does this thing that you pass to the function implement a particular protocol? which might be very useful to people. Well, there's no way to actually specify that currently inside normal Elixir type specs. So uh, then it's just transformed to a very generic any type. But the runtime type checks and also the property testing generation will use, will check specifically slash will use specifically only instances of that protocol. So you'd mentioned that it has these wrapper functions that do these in checks and these enforcements. Is there any significant performance impact that people should expect? One thing that I think is very important and uh, something which has been part of the design of TypeCheck from the very start is that the checks which are added to your code are all generated at compile time which means that they can be fully optimized by both the Elixir and then the Erlang uh, compilers. This is, by the way, also a very big difference between TypeCheck and Norm, because in Norm, all the contracts, I believe they're called there, are re-evaluated every time you happen to call a function that contains a Norm check in there. And because all this is generated at compile time and the compilers are able to optimize it, in many cases, it just gets inlined into your functions. And in some cases, you will have to add a special like add compiler inline true statement to your module if you want to get even more uh, runtime like performance benefits. But then it will just work really well. And inlining this code just in your normal function also means that, for instance, if there is an overlap between the type which type check checks and possible guard clauses that you have either at your function head or in a case statement inside there, then usually those won't need to be re-evaluated because the compiler is clever enough to figure out that it would be doing the same thing twice. So the the goal, and we're not entirely there yet, um, but this this is the goal at some point, is that type check, uh, the the runtime type checks that type check does will be linear in the size of input to your functions. So essentially this means that if your list, if you pass a list to your function and it is twice as large, then presumably the code inside your function will also take twice as long to run. And the check is, it's also okay if the check takes twice as long to run. But it would be a problem if it would suddenly take 10 times as long, because then obviously uh, it no longer will work well if the inputs to your functions start growing larger. So you keep mentioning something about property-based testing in saying that it's generating something. What do you mean by that? Can you expand on what you're saying there? So the idea behind property-based testing is it is mostly used in unit testing, but rather than think of a couple of test cases manually yourself, you tell the test library, hey, give me any number and I can test with this number, for instance, or other inputs. And for type check, this essentially means that we can check whether a function works correctly with regards to, does it crash or not when we give it the input it says it expects to use? That's essentially what we test. And the idea is that, well, if we we 
generate arbitrary input parameters for the function, and we call the function. And then if it breaks halfway through by either just outright throwing an error or returning a result which is different from the result which again is written in the function specification, then we know that there is a problem with the function and it will need to be uh, to be fixed. And this style of testing gives a lot more certainty that the code is correct when you compare it to thinking of a couple of test cases manually, because every time your test suite runs, the testing framework will think of a hundred more test cases and run those for you. So it will never be entirely perfect, of course, but you will get arbitrarily close when your test suite runs many times. It sounds like those inputs will be kind of generated at testing time, so they'll be different every time. Yes. And so you're saying since you're building the specs, the library knows what types it should expect. So if it says, I accept any integer, then you can just say, well, that's fine. I'll generate a bunch of really big ones, some small ones, some negative ones, some medium ones, and I'll just check a whole bunch of them, maybe hundreds of them, and make sure that it always returns the success typing. And if it doesn't, then there's some problem there. You said that it accepted an integer, but when I gave you a really big one, you broke. Here's a problem. Go fix it. <laughs> I want to illustrate this a little bit more. Like looking back at, at the docs, which by the way, great job on this. The, the docs on this are really good. Um, Thank you. So I'm used to doc tests, maybe an underused for feature of, of Elixir sometimes, right? So you can you can write IEX examples in your docs. They get rendered like Elixir. And then if you put doc test in your X unit test for that module, it'll go through those, uh, ex- those IEX examples and it'll run it and it'll assert that the output is what you said it was going to be. Really great feature of Elixir. I love it. Okay, so that's stock test. You've introduced here spec test. And it's doing kind of the same thing. So this is another example of where like you just write your normal elixir stuff, right? Put a bang in front of type and then put in your test, spec test, you know, for the module that that you're wanting to test here. And it does the same thing. And and in here what you're doing is you're doing pro- you're adding property testing, which is like a, a good way for me to dip my toes in there into property testing and you're just asserting that the, those type specs are correct and working. So that kind of answers a question I've been having here is, is all right, so great runtime checks, type checks. That's great. I don't really want to find my errors though in production, you know, in, in exception reports. How, how do I know that this stuff is actually working? What, what kind of help do I get more along the lines of pre-deploying or compile time, right? Sounds like there's not a lot of compile time stuff here, but at least in tests, I'm covered. And I know that's a big value that Norm provides too, is uh, a good uh, uh, integration with uh, property testing too. That's really, okay, so so earlier I was complaining about my age. Um, so I'm going to use a, a, young ver- a young person's word. That's really clutch. That's on fire, yo. <laughs> I don't know if those are things that young people say, sorry. <laughs> I don't think that makes you cool, sorry. <laughs> okay, well, I tried. I guess this is like another step beyond dialyzer, right? I keep going back to dialyzer, but it's like, you can't just say, Hey, dialyzer, create a million tests from every function that I've specced in this module, right? That doesn't, that's not a thing. I wonder if that could be a thing that would actually be really interesting, but this is really cool. I'm looking at the docs like David was, and you just say spec test space, my module, and it just goes and all the functions that have the specs will just be tested with hundreds and hundreds of tests, potentially, right? For free, on on my part. That's fantastic. 
not free from Martin. Martin's put many painstaking <laughs> hours into making this free for us. So Martin, is the plan for this to get merged into Elixir? Is that where this is going? I mean, that would be amazing, but I I think it's it's rather unlikely. But who knows, right? Have you proposed it? Is it is this a, a thing that people are talking about? Can I talk about it? Please talk about it. Yes. No. I, I have not. <laughs> I have not talked to to, to Jose and, and the rest of the Elixir core team about it. Yes. Yet. I mean, they are aware of the project because I have yeah. while developing it encountered some strange edge cases with regards to how XDoc, for instance, was uh, parsing some types which were shown in the documentation and some other edge cases with how the compiler was compiling certain types, you know, the kind of edge cases, which you don't find out in everyday programming, but only when you're doing rather complicated meta programming stuff. So I, I think they are aware of the project, but uh, well, at this point it, it, it is mature enough for everyday use, I think, but not uh, like it's not entirely stable yet. So it will probably take a couple of more months before a 1.0 version can be released. Yeah, and, and not to say that it should be merged like right this moment. And I think that all, all good ideas like this ought to start in libraries first to be uh, tested, proven, and sorted out um, all, all the edge cases here. I'll reflect here for a second. Except for the runtime checks stuff, putting that on hold for a second, the test part of this, spec test my module, that feels like Elixir. That feels like something that Elixir would ship with. The test helpers on that at least, Right. And I wonder where the runtime stuff can evolve and if that is a good fit for Elixir, you know, to be merged into Elixir proper. But the test part, that feels good. It feels like doc test, right? It's like, yeah, add a doc test, add a spec test, tests for free. Yeah. (laughs) There definitely is a bit of like, on one hand, stream data, which is what is used for all the property testing behind the scenes is, of course, also currently still separate from uh, the main Elixir project. And I don't know if there are any plans to merge that either. However, uh, there is some precedent as well, because for instance, many of the techniques and ideas of type check find their origin in uh, the language Racket, which has done it quite a while back. And I was able to, to look at what they did and copy over some techniques. And also more recently, Enclosure. And uh, in both cases, I believe it's either now built into the language or part of well, some kind of blessed library, which is included with the runtime by default. So people are definitely taking uh, these kinds of techniques very seriously, also outside of Elixir. That is all fascinating. And I, I do agree with David's perspective. Like Surface, a lot of the things that we saw worked out over a significant amount of time and a lot of contribution. And then now some of those features, not like Surface as a whole comes into Elixir, but things like slots and Heeks templates with HTML checked. It would be awesome if we could at least see some of those benefits as just something that comes, like Kate says, for free to us. But that waits to be seen. But I did have a question about that we have these wrappers where you're able to enforce these checks. If someone was concerned about any overhead could they say, well, because it's a compile time thing, could I say for a prod build, could I turn those off? And then I still get it for dev and I get it for test. Is that something that is available? Yes, that is already available right now. And you can do this differently per module as well, which is very useful in some situations where there's only certain uh, modules where you do certain types of checks which are too slow. And in the future, 
one of the things uh, I'm looking into is to make this even more granular where you might say, okay, uh, we want to perform the full check in development, but only a more surface level check in production to still get some checking benefit, but also make it fast enough for cases where it is really required that where, where the full check would be too, uh, too expensive to run. So turning it on and off per module per environment is already possible right now. And we're looking into ways to make this even more gradual in the future as well. And input on that, by the way, is greatly appreciated. I do like that idea of being able to incrementally bring it into my project too, right? Because like if I say, oh, I want a static type checker, it's like all or nothing because that's compile time. It's not an easy thing to incrementally bring it in. But this, I think, like how you say, I can just add the macro at the top of use type check on particular key modules, like maybe where my central business logic is. That's really critical that I get this right. I could start adding it there and not have to worry about adding it all the other places that it could be like in my views and things like that. I was just curious as if you've gotten any feedback or if you've seen anything about good ways to get started with this, like where is the right spot to bring it into a project? It's probably the easiest to add it to, uh, if you're writing an application, to, to add it to your business logic because those are often the place where you have already functions which are essentially pure anyway. And uh, there it's often much more easy to reason about what kind of inputs a function expects and output it returns. And in many cases, uh, you might already have written those type specs already for documentation purposes or just because it's good idiomatic elixir practice. And then it's really easy to, to add it gradually there. One of the other things we're, 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 I, I, I would, of course, love, but that is definitely something which I don't also have the time for myself, besides the main type check project, is to add integrations with uh, Ecto, for instance, or possibly uh, Phoenix Live View or Plug to make it easier to type check the main functions or data types that are used in those libraries as well. But obviously, adding the building blocks to make this easier is also a bit of work and that's not something I can uh, do next to maintaining type check itself. So is the idea there for like plug, for example, if I have a, a route, a get request to my application, that type check would wrap that and raise an exception if the incoming request wasn't the type that I, I specified? Is that how that would feel? Yes, for instance. So one of the situations which I've encountered from time to time in my Phoenix projects is mainly that you're dealing with a, with a session or with the result of, of a form. And then, of course, it's already quickly an Ecto change set or something. But where you're working with a map with various keys and you are hoping or expecting that a particular key is there and often it just is not because you made a mistake somewhere. In those kinds of situations, I think that a very lightweight check where the extra code that you have to add to your modules to make sure that everything gets checked is very low, that would make a lot of sense. I'm curious if you've gotten any feedback or maybe from yourself having used this, if it's being used in any significant projects and maybe some of the benefits that people have seen. Because I can imagine a couple benefits and I just want to see if this, if I'm, if I've got it right or if there's like, if I'm missing something too, because the normal type specs that we put in our Elixir code, like you'd made that point early on, there's nothing that enforces that it stay correct and up to date. 
So it becomes a documentation problem. So I can see that being one benefit is that it enforces that my documentation actually matches. Does it help find bugs or anything else like that? Like what other benefits are you seeing for using this? Yes. Uh, so there, I think, are two main benefits. The first is that it prevents a lot of, yeah, call them uh, naive bugs, where you're just getting errors at runtime, possibly even in production, where uh, Elixir tells you, well, you've tried to call something as a function, but actually it's nil, or there is a key missing from your map, or some other thing should be a type, but actually your function returned uh, a nil or, or something else, or... Uh, you refactored something where you expected an, uh, a value, but now you're working with an okay error tuple. Those kinds of mistakes, they they happen fairly commonly, at least to me. Um, and those kinds of bugs can very easily be found by a runtime type checker such as this. I mean, it, it cannot prevent all bugs. You will still make the, the encounter the problems which are inherent to your problem doma- domain. But it will at least remove those naive bugs where you're like, oh, I just made a typo here, or oh, I should not have removed that line thinking I I should not have refactored this uh, at uh, 11 p.m. <laughs> after a long day of work. I, I should have just gone to bed early, you know? Uh, those kinds of mistakes it will uh, will catch. So that is, that is one thing where it will really help with. And another, which uh, from my personal experience, uh, it really makes sense, is that at some point, it also sort of forces you to add those type specifications to all your functions because you know that they are actually being used. And this also makes sure that you are actually thinking about what input types and output types your functions are actually operating on. And yeah, you're essentially making sure that this is explicit. And that really helps with countering some well, more architectural problems where you're like, oh, wait, Actually, I now realize that there is also a case where I can't actually return a user of this function because it might not exist. And I hadn't thought about that, but now that I've wrote, written down the type, now I'm aware. And But this means that I might need to change uh, some piece of code elsewhere. And I think those two situations are something where types really help and are even useful even in languages where you can't go all the way with a full static typing or uh, even dependent typing, etc. Well, Martin, we are unfortunately close to our time, but I did want to talk about a couple of things. Like, one, I, I hope that people are getting a sense of this is a really interesting library. Because when I first saw you talking about this, I was like, wow, this is, this is interesting. This is unique because it, it leverages so much of what's already there with my type specs. Because I find value in my type specs, but I know they drift. And unless I periodically check with Dialyzer and I'm able to decipher the tea leaves of what they, that means, what it's telling me, then they get out of date. And I love the idea of how this can be helpful. So if people are wanting to get started with this, one, is it easy to just add this to an existing project and just get started and jump in? Yes, very much so. So it doesn't really, uh, it, it does not really have any dependencies by itself. So you can just add it to your mix.exs file and use it without having to think about that too hard. The only dependency uh, which is optional is the dependency on stream data, which you can add to your test environment and then you can use this uh, spec testing uh, feature. And you'd also mentioned uh, that there are things you'd love to see come to the project that you just don't have the time to commit to focus on, like around Ecto and building out the spec support for those libraries and things like that. 
Are you looking for contribution to the library to type check itself? How can people get involved? I'm definitely looking for contributions. Uh, the main thing for type check itself right now is to figure out this final piece of the puzzle to make sure that we are able to parse all the built-in types or, or use all the built-in types of Elixir, which is uh, these optional and required keywords uh, that you have in the map type syntax. Besides that, the absolutely most important thing uh, which would really help is when people just start using this in their projects because it is a rather large library with a lot of code. So there definitely are a couple of bugs in there still. And if people start using it, I'm sure they will be very quickly discovered. And we also get more feedback than about how it's used and what other ways uh, the library might be improved uh, in the future. And another thing which uh, would definitely help is if people who are interested about it could add libraries that combine type check with, for instance, Ecto or Plug or other domain-specific libraries that might benefit from type checking. Is there a way that someone would do that? Like, if I'm not a maintainer of Ecto and I want to add types to Ecto, do I add a new, like a type check Ecto library that somehow bridges the two? Yes, this is something which has been added to the library to make sure essentially that you can override the types for particular modules by pointing the types to, to a different module when they are used. And of course, it's always better to write the types directly in the original module. But for instance, the Elixir's built-in modules and also other large libraries where this is difficult or impossible, this is the alternative. That is super exciting. So Martin, thank you very much for coming and talking with us. If people want to follow you and just kind of what you're doing or follow the project, where should they go to do that? So the project is on GitHub. You can also, of course, find it on HexPM. It's called TypeCheck, just the way you expect it to be written. I am very active on the Elixir forums, so uh, it's probably easiest to find me there. Most places on the internet, I am known by the handle QQWY. And I also have a Twitter handle, which is at Martin, which hopefully is linked in the show notes for people so they can easily click it. Although I'm not that active on Twitter, so it's probably easier to... Uh, to find me uh, on the Elixir Forum. Well, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you for listening. We hope you'll join us next time on Thinking Elixir.